All right, if you would, take your Bible and open to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to be looking at the end here in just a few moments, uh, at the end of Galatians chapter 5. Just a quick note to those of you who are watching at home. If you're watching this live with us this morning, streaming live on Sunday morning, here in just a second, we're going to do our yearly church survey here in the, uh, in the room. On the comments on Facebook, you should be able to access that survey. So if you click that link, hopefully it'll take you over, and you can either do that now or later. If you're watching this service during the week, uh, you can fast forward for a couple of minutes and catch us here in about five minutes for the, uh, for the survey. Those of you here in the room, hopefully you picked up one of those uh, purple packets as you were coming in. If you did not get one of these, Sally is here in the back and she's going to pass those out. Just raise your hand really quickly and Sally will get one to you. Sally, I think you did it. You scored 100. You got everybody. So thank you for your, for your help. We're, we're good. Okay, let me give you a quick introduction to what we're doing here. I know you didn't show up this morning to gathered worship in order to fill out a survey, but, but I pray that this will feel more like an act of worship and less like something that I'm just doing to make Owen happy. Uh, every year as a church family, once per year about this time, we take a survey almost exactly like this. And so what you can do, that first page is just an exclamation, ex, explanation page. So you can just turn that over if that's of no interest to you. If you want to keep it, you could tear it off and look at it later. Let me walk you through this survey. We're going to fill this out right now together. And then when you leave, you can drop it in one of the buckets that are at these exit doors. And so this particular uh, survey, I know some of you have already been filling it out this morning, but let me just walk you through it. If you've already filled it out, maybe I can provide some explanation. If not, you can fill it out. There at the top, just name, age category, gender. You only need to fill out the information if we don't have your information already or if it's changed recently. You moved, you got a new phone number, you finally, it's 2020, you got an email address. <laughs> that would be a good place to, to put that. You only need to fill that out if any of that has changed recently. The first main section is what we call up here at Emmaus. So we're evaluating, thinking about God's work in our life. What's your involvement in a local church? Are you a member here? Are you just a guest? What, what, what's, your, what's your involvement? Tell us about your baptism. So I was baptized in Emmaus at another church. I've not been baptized. Tell us that. The number of years as a Christian, and if you frankly just can't remember, or you're thinking, man, where do I fit in this? If you just give us the best, best you can there on, on number of years as a Christian. Then you're going to see a series of questions throughout this that have an asterisk with it. Those are confidential. As soon as the information is put in, those are completely removed from your name. So if you see something that has an asterisk with it, just know that that is not going to be associated with your name. We just take data on those questions. So how often I pray, do I use a prayer list? A couple of sections there about praise that get, unfortunately, the numberings off, but you, you can see there a couple of sections there at the bottom of the first page. During the week, do you listen to Christian music? Do you rarely listen to it? Do you listen mainly to sermons or you know, talk radio more than music? Uh, then during gather worship, how much you've seen, there's a chance to, to mark about that. So that's the front of the first page of the survey is, 
is going through that up section. When you turn over that first page, that first main page of the survey, you turn it over, you get to the in section. So this is what God's doing in my life. This is about involvement in, in the life of the church. How often do you read the Bible personally? When you come together to worship, do you use a hard copy of the Bible? Do you use a Bible app? Or do you mainly just rely on the verses that are put up on the screen? That helps us to know how to, to do a better job on Sunday morning helping you out. Tell us about the groups that you're a part of. So do I attend Sunday school class? Many of you are a part of two or three different Bible studies during the week. It's just a chance. 3.3 is a chance to tell us what groups you're, you're involved in. Now 3.4 is a new question this week. So let me, or this year. And, and 3.4 there about relationships, you're going to check all that apply. So within the last year, I spoke with someone else outside my family about a sin or struggle that I saw in their life. Now this is confidential. This is one that is not going to be associated with your name. But we're curious about how are we doing in our relationships with one another, speaking about spiritual things. <laughs> within the last year, someone else confronted me about something they saw in my life. Within the last year, someone has sent me a text message or called me just to encourage me. And then the fourth part of that 3.4, I have someone that I could share my struggles with if I was fighting temptation or facing a difficult situation. One thing that's scary as a pastor is meeting people that say, I've been in church, but I just don't know that I have anybody in my life that I could turn to if I was really in a hard spot. I don't know that I have that person. I have a lot of acquaintances, but not a close spiritual friend. And so that, that's what that little blank is about. 3.5 is about prayer or reading the Bible in your household. So if you're a part of a household, you can fill out 3.5. 3.6 applies if you're, marriage, uh, if you're married. So it's about you and your spouse praying together, having spiritual conversations, having dates. 3.7, please fill this one out. This is something I'm particularly interested in. So the bottom of that back page, 3.7, spiritual gifts. If you know your spiritual gifts, write those out. If you're not familiar with the idea of spiritual gifts, or you just say, I don't know my spiritual gifts. Mark, I don't know, and we're gonna follow up with you because that is something particularly important that we know how God has gifted us to serve in the life of the church. And so 3.7, if you're not familiar with your spiritual gifts, please fill the courage to mark no, I don't know, but I'd really like to have, have some help on that. If you go uh, to the, what would be the final page of the stapled uh, packet, 3.8, if you check one of these boxes, you're gonna be notified about an opportunity to serve, okay? So these, this is not checking what you do already, though if you've already checked that, that's, that's fine, that's not a big deal. This is, I would like to be involved in serving within the church Check the areas that you have interest in serving. If you're a guest or you're really unsure about involvement here at Emmaus and, and you skip that section, that's perfectly fine. 3.8, though, is I want to get involved. I'm looking for a place to serve. Sign me up somewhere. So that, that's what, what that section is there. So you can see there's a number of different opportunities. And then there's the dreaded other <laughs> at, the, at the end. So you can always park, mark other and say, help Owen with the sermons or something like that. Whatever, whatever you would like to do to serve, that is completely, I could use all the help I can get. So section number four is out. So this is how we as a church, how we as individuals are on mission. So 4.1 is about giving. You're only gonna check one box on 4.1. 
about your giving. Again, this is confidential. This is not associated with your name. 4.2, check all the ways that you give to special mission projects. And then 4.3 is about how I'm serving the Lord in my neighborhood. So prayer, am I praying specifically by name for the salvation of someone that I know? Hospitality, are we hosting people in our home? It's a terrible question to ask in 2020. I realize it's kind of an unfair question in 2020, so we're not gonna make too big of a deal about that. Uh, But uh, you can see that. If you go over to the very back, there's a section there at the top about inviting Have I invited people to an event at Emmaus or a worship gathering at Emmaus? Again, that's hard in 2020, I know. And then evangelism. Within the last year, did I share the good news of Jesus with anybody? So not just, hey, can I pray for you? But I've spoke to someone about the good news of Jesus. Talked to them about salvation. um, Shared my testimony with them, something like that. Now, 4.4, the final section, this is another good way to get yourself contacted by Jim Lehu, uh, if, you, if you want that. So there's a section there about mission trips. I've not gone on a trip, but I'd sure like to. I've gone, but I'd like to go again if I could. That gets you on the mission trip list when we're ready to do that again. Long-term mission work. This is something I pray about. I wonder if God has people at Emmaus who feel called not just to go for a week, but Maybe it's a year, maybe it's two years, maybe it's 10 years. I feel called to pursue longer term mission work. You can check that. Uh, I have a close personal relationship with someone from another country living in the United States. This is when God brings mission trips to your neighborhood uh, or, or to the place that you work. Sometimes we don't go on the mission trip. God sometimes just brings it to us at work. And then I speak a language other than English at least well enough to hold a conversation. This is when inevitably someone puts down a funny, sarcastic answer. So if you've got one of those, go for it. Uh, When we filled these out in previous years, people have spoken some languages I didn't know existed. But uh, you can write down whatever other languages uh, maybe you have the ability. And most of us realize we don't speak English well enough. So we're just trying trying to do that. But if there's another language that you speak. So again, why do we do this? Well, there's a couple of reasons. Uh, One, as church leadership, we want to be aware of what God's doing in our church family. We want to think, God, what does it look like to respond? What does it look like to lead and pastor well? Also, let's be honest, most of us could use a little self-evaluation. It's not bad to, to evaluate and think about, you know, wow, I never thought about that question. Maybe I need to be more aware of that. Or, you know what? I I haven't been reading my Bible regularly. Maybe that's something I need to to get involved in. It's just a good chance for self-evaluation. Here's the transition to the sermon, though, this morning, friends. You could fill out a survey like that, and everything on the surface looks really good. And there could almost be a little bit of religious pride. Oh, yeah, I read my Bible four times a week. I keep a prayer list. I've been on a mission trip. Do you see where that could work? Where you could fill out something like that, instead of it being good, humble self-evaluation, it can turn into a form of religious self-righteousness where everything looks good on the outside, but we have to ask the harder question, God, what are you doing inside me? How is my life being transformed from the inside out? And that's what we have this morning in Galatians 5. So here's our transition to Galatians 5, and we're going to think about, God, 
what are you doing inside me that then comes out in the way that I live? If you would, look in your Bible at Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Paul says there, I say to you, Paul says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now to prepare your heart, to prepare your mind for what's gonna happen this morning in these verses, what Paul is going to do in the next few verses is he's going to lay out a contrast between spirit and flesh. The person whose life is controlled and driven by the spirit of God and the person whose life is controlled and driven by the things of the flesh. Now when you think flesh, don't think primarily just this flesh that you, that you grab onto here. Flesh is a way that Paul will speak about living for the things only of this world, living only for myself. My life is driven by me and not by the Holy Spirit, not by the things of God. And so as we go through these verses, you're going to see this contrast, and, and let's just be honest up front. We have to ask ourselves, am I walking by the Spirit? Am I living a life controlled by the Holy Spirit, or is my life primarily driven by the things of this world? Is my life primarily driven by me? Now when you think about this idea of walking by the Spirit, before we move too fast over it, I don't want you to miss the Old Testament connection that's going on here. In the Old Testament, when God promised the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the new covenant at the end of time, the inbreaking of God's victory into the world, that promise was about the coming of the power of the Holy Spirit. Ezekiel 36 is a great example of this. God says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. If you like to write in your Bible, next to Galatians 5.16, you just write in Ezekiel 36.27 because Paul is drawing a strong connection between those new covenant promises of the Old Testament and how this is coming to fulfillment in the church by the victory of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. So Paul says, are you living? Are you walking? Are you existing in this world controlled by the Spirit of God that God promised God promised that he would put within his people. Look at verse 17. Paul says, why is this a big deal? <laughs> he says it's a big deal because the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told people that were listening into that sermon that you cannot serve two masters. Your life will be driven or controlled by one Lord. You will be worshiping God or you will be living for what Jesus called mammon, the things of this world, even this idea of flesh here. Paul is saying the same thing here, friends. Paul is saying that your life is going to be controlled by something. Is it the Spirit of God driving, controlling, guiding my life, or is it the things of the flesh? And let's just be honest, what the Spirit loves and what the flesh love are, are often in conflict with one another. Friendships, marriages, 
have a funny way of opposites attracting. <laughs> so you get together and you're like, oh, I like this. I, I like this over here. And you find yourself in these oppositions where we're driven by different things. We're, we're driven toward liking different things. Paul says, the life in the spirit and the life in the flesh are going to be in opposition to one another. Why do we see opposition in the world? Why do you face such incredible battles within your own life when you face temptation? It's because the spirit and the flesh are in opposition. They're in competition with one another. Verse 18 there at the, at the bottom, but if you are led by the spirit, Paul says, you are not under the law. Now this is a really neat connection back to something that happened earlier in Galatians chapter three. Earlier in Galatians three, when Paul was talking about the law, he said that the law was like the older person that would walk the child to school, <laughs> that, that would lead the child to school, lead the child in the right way. And so Paul says, up to the time of the coming of Jesus, up to the time of the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, up to this time, you have had the law to lead you, but the law was never ultimately meant to give life. Jesus was bringing the power of the Holy Spirit to change our lives, to transform us. And so Paul says, if you are led, guided by the Spirit, you are no longer living under the law. You are living in a new way, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. There's a contrast between living by the Spirit and living for the flesh. Now watch what happens in verse 19, because here's where it gets really hard. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Now, depending on the translation, these are a group of words that can be translated in a number of different ways. Based on the translation you're reading, you may see different terms. I'm gonna walk through these terms based on the translation we have up here and then you can make notes and make connections as we go. But here's what I wanna point out to you first. At the beginning of verse 19, you can see there where it says, now the works of the flesh are evident. It's important to note that works is plural here, okay? So this is gonna become important here in just a moment. But Paul is talking about multiple works of the flesh. The idea that when I live for myself, when I live out of the power of the flesh, out of the power of the world, that can show up in all kinds of different ways. It can show up in a number of different ways. And as you go through this list, you're going to find certain things that say, yeah, that's not a big deal for me. And then you're going to find certain things that you're going to think, man, I wish that wasn't in the list. <laughs> and what Paul is doing he is showing that the works of the flesh show up in a lot of different ways. It's not just one single thing that you can say, okay, I'm okay there, I'm okay there, I checked off that box, I'm okay. No, this shows up in a lot of different ways. It's works that are coming out of the flesh. Now, in this list, there are eight terms that are put at the middle of the list that have to do with fighting among groups, that have to do with dissension among a group of people, interpersonal relationships. And then there's a group of terms at the beginning and a group of terms at the end of the list that are what we would consider the more blatant sins, the more outwardly cultural sins. Here's the point I wanna to make to you. If we're not careful, 
we're going to emphasize the sins at the beginning and the end. Oh man, I don't do those. I don't do those. But the way that this list is put together, Paul is putting the emphasis on the sins that are listed in the middle. He's putting the emphasis on these works of the flesh that come in the middle of the list. So let's walk through this just for a minute to think about what does it look like to live in the flesh? What does it look like to do these works of the flesh? Well, Paul says first, he uses the term sexual immorality. This is the famous Greek word porneia. Uh, It's not hard to get from porneia to pornography, but it's a word that is very broad in terms of sexual immorality. So this would be sexual acts outside the context of marriage. This would be what we would consider pornography. This could include things as broad as lust. This is the broad-based word in the New Testament for sexual immorality. Interestingly, when you get to the fruit of the Spirit, so spoiler alert, there's a, there's a positive side to this, thankfully. When you get to the fruit of the Spirit, the first fruit that is listed is love. The first sin, the first work of the flesh that is listed is sexual immorality. Why? Because sexual immorality is severing the good gift of sex from the power of Christian love. And when you sever sex from love, you are working in the flesh and not the good gift that God gives to us. And so Paul here puts sexual immorality at the beginning of this list. He's going to put love at the beginning of the next list about how we are called to live. So he says sexual immorality, impurity. With this word, you're broadening more to lust. So we're going more to these are the struggles that Jesus would talk about in the Sermon on the Mount. That's great that you never committed adultery, but have you lusted? That's great that you've never murdered, but have you hated someone? So with impurity, we're starting to get a little bit more into this idea of lust, a little bit more into the idea of the heart. Then the third word up here is sensuality. Sensuality, unfortunately in English, doesn't quite grasp the severity of this word. This is the word about sexual actions and and lust and desires where you've just thrown off all constraints. This is a, I don't care I'm going to do whatever I want. It doesn't matter what anybody says. This is just the way that I'm going to live. It, it's, it's sexual passion and desire and lust and actions with no constraints. Um, and, and frankly, we realize we're not far from living in a world where many times that's how sexuality is portrayed. But again, be very, very careful about pointing out there to people out there and, and not taking account of our own life. What does it look like to live in the flesh? This is one of those things. Number four in the list is idolatry. In the Bible, don't miss the close connection between idolatry and adultery. Those two concepts, the word sounds the same in English, and they are very closely related in the scriptures. Adultery, running after another lover. Idolatry, running after another lover. Running after another God idolatry is thrown in here because of a strong connection that is happening with this idea of sexual immorality, a strong connection that people in this part of the world would have understood. So the works of the flesh are counting something of this world, loving something of this world as God. Counting and loving something of this world as God. Idolatry, number five, sorcery. You read this Greek word out in English sounding letters and you get the word pharmacy. (laughs) So this is the word that was used in the ancient world for using a drug to either poison someone 
or using a drug to create what we might call a high or some type of, of experience. It's an idea that talks about, again, lack of constraint, lack of, um, lack of any type of, of boundary. And so this idea of sorcery, using something of this world and giving it divine power using something of this world to do what only God should be doing in our lives. And if you just need a translation, it really comes close to what we would consider drugs and, and use of those things for personal purposes. Next, gel, uh, uh, next, enmity. Now, you're like, okay. So there was those first five. I realize those are works of the flesh. Those are hard. But now we're going to get into a set here that really close, hit close to home. Enmity, the making of enemies. What did Jesus say about our enemies? He didn't say make enemies. He said to love and to pray for your enemies. Enmity is when I'm constantly playing the us and them game, the me and you game. I'm constantly drawing these boundaries and creating enemies out of everyone around me. There's no this, hey, you know, we kind of agree to disagree type of thing. It's like, nope, you disagree with me, you're my enemy. This is that mentality that's baked in there. Enmity is the first one there. Then we get to strife. Strife is what we would call a contentious temper. Strife is when your temper and your anger always leads you to argue and to turn against people. This is creating strife. Paul gets so frustrated in the book of 1 Corinthians about what he calls strife that sometimes is translated quarreling. This is just a contentious temper that I always need to argue or be upset with somebody in life. It's that type of mentality. That's a work of the flesh that is coming through here. Next is the idea of jealousy. Jealousy is wanting what someone else has. It's this idea that I am driven by wanting for myself what you have. It's that type of mentality. A very, very selfish word. It's a word that can have a positive meaning. You can be jealous in a holy way, but jealousy is wanting for myself what you have. Fits of anger. Remember that little kid's show, Inside Out, and the little red anger character, and he's just always like flames are coming out uh, of his head? This is a word that means hot, not attractive hot. <laughs> the hot that someone comes up to you and says, man, you need to cool down. Like you were, you were heated up way too much over the situation. You need to cool down. This is fits of anger. It's uncontrolled passion. It's this idea of getting overheated, and it affects your relationships with other people. Fits of anger. Rivalries. Rivalry is connected to selfish ambition. Selfish ambition that I am always trying to put myself forward. I want to read to you something about rivalry. It comes from a, about a couple hundred years before the time of Paul, but within the Greek language. Here's how Aristotle used rivalry. He said it means a self-seeking pursuit of political office by unfair means. This word means the self-seeking pursuit of political office by unfair means. It was often about creating rivalries in government or in politics. And sometimes we say that the Bible is not relevant to contemporary life. <laughs> you know, and then you get, you get moments like this. Rivalries. Dissensions, again, it's a word about creating division among a group of people. Then you get the word divisions. Divisions is an interesting word because it's not just about creating a division between a group of people. It's the idea that we set ourselves up in cliques. The word divisions here is what can 
in contemporary life, we would call cliques. So I've got my group of people. I'm going to be over here. You can do whatever you want. This is our, our group of people. There's the divisions. Then 20, uh, in verse 21, you get to envy. Let me give you this distinction. I think this is helpful. Uh, this is something my wife uses a lot when she teaches, and I think there's something helpful here. Jealousy that we talked about earlier is wanting what another person has. Envy is not wanting them to have it. So jealousy, I want your chocolate chip cookie for myself. Envy is, I really don't want your chocolate chip cookie, but I hate that you have it. (laughs) Uh, Envy is this idea that when another person rejoices, it makes me mourn. It makes me sad when I see somebody else happy or vice versa. When I see somebody else sad, that makes me happy. It's that mentality. It's this idea of, I don't want you to have anything good. I, I envy you to the degree that I can't rejoice with you. I can't mourn with you. It, it's wanting that for myself. Drunkenness is, is pretty straightforward there in 21. It, it's just this idea, again, it's about lack of self-control, lack of self-restraint. The word orgies is, is a little bit of a strange word to us there. Um, orgies has in reference to uninhibited late night parties. Now that's not me making up that definition, that's the definition that when you go and study the word here, it is a late night party that is completely out of control. And does it often involve alcohol? Sure it is. Is it often gonna involve sexual immorality? Sure it is. But the idea here is there's just no control, it's just uninhibited late night parties. There's an interesting piece to this puzzle when you look at the works of the flesh here. This word can have a positive meaning. It can mean celebration. But here in this list, and used in a negative way, it's celebration's gone too far. It's celebration's gone wrong. You may have been in this situation in in your life before where there's a celebration of something good, and before you know it, either alcohol or drugs or the way you're talking and treating one another or sexual immorality— begins to take over what originally started as a really good celebration, but it devolves and turns into something that's ultimately sinful. And then just in case we didn't, we missed something, Paul says, and things like these. That list, is that list exhaustive? It's exhausting, but it's not exhaustive. It's a list that, could you add other things to it? Sure, sure you could. But Paul is saying these are the works of the flesh. This is what happens in our lives when the flesh takes over. What's the big deal? Verse 21. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let that weight sit on you just for a minute there. I warned you that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And immediately, right, we want to argue back. Wait, 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 we're saved by faith. We're saved by faith in Christ, not by doing good things. Absolutely, Paul's not contradicting that. He said this whole book of Galatians is that you're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. He's not contradicting that. But he is saying that saving faith is allegiance to Christ empowered by the Holy Spirit that leads to the fruit of the Spirit. That if we make a practice of doing the things that are mentioned there, it shows that we are not filled with the Spirit. It shows that we don't mean what we mean when we say that we have faith in Jesus. Now, this connects with the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 7, 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus is saying that the way to eternal life is through the power of the Holy Spirit. The question is, what does that look like? Well, look in verse 22. Thankfully, we've made it to this point. (laughs) Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Oh, oh. You guys know that song? I can't say self-control straightforward. You have to kind of like push it out the way you do in like kids, kids Sunday school class. And that will probably be the first and last time I ever seen from, from the stage <laughs> for you. But uh, this idea of however you memorized the fruit of the Spirit back in the day, this is the fruit of the Spirit. Check this out. Works was plural. Fruit is singular. The works of the flesh show up in all these different ways. But Paul is saying that there is an integrated unified nature to the fruit of the Spirit, which means you don't get to pick the fruit that works really well in your life and say, I'm just not very good at patience, (laughs) or I'm just not very good at kindness. That's somebody else's. You know, in the New Testament, there is spiritual gifts, and there is spiritual fruit. Spiritual gifts, we all have different gifts. Thank God I don't have to be good at the spiritual gift of music, or or something like that. I've got my gifts, you've got your gifts, we all have different gifts. We don't get to have different fruit. This work is the work that the Holy Spirit does in all of us, begins to put these pieces together in all of us. This is the fruit of the Spirit. I want to show you a comparison table that gets you an idea of of where we've been up to this point. Works of the flesh, man-made, they're plural, They have a chaotic nature, an uninhibited, no restraints. They are divisive to a group of people, and they are ultimately self-serving. The fruit of the Spirit is miraculous. It is only a work that can happen in our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. It has a singular, integrated, unified nature to it. The the fruit of the Spirit will bring a group, group of people together. The works of the flesh will drive a group of people apart. As the church, miraculously, we're called to live by the fruit of the Spirit. And ultimately, the fruit of the Spirit is about how do I serve others, not how do I serve myself. This is what Paul is giving us in these verses. Now look at verse 24. Verse 24 says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus, if you are listening online or if you are here this morning and you belong to Jesus, you have trusted in him for salvation. He is your Savior and Lord. Those who belong to Christ have crucified, put to death the flesh with its passions and desires. Because Jesus died for us, taking upon himself our sin, we are called to kill sin. We are called to put to death, to crucify the desires of the flesh. And in true New Testament form, this is an already thing that Jesus has done in our lives, but it's also an ongoing thing that we are called to do by the power of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Daily, I have to kill and crucify the desires of my flesh to do what I want to do for my purposes and say instead, I want to be, as verse 25 says, I want to live by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit. So where do we go from here? How do we tell the difference between flesh and spirit? 
I want to tell you something that we're going to do as a, as a church family. We are going to begin 2021 with a nine-week study through the fruit of the Spirit. Studying this week, looking at this this week, you can't just pass over the fruit of the Spirit and then go on. There, there's, there's too much here. It's too important in the world that we live in right now when you see the works of the flesh on display and we so badly need to display the fruit of the Spirit in the world. And so at Emmaus, our commitment is we're going to have a fruitful 2021. And it may not be successful by human standards, but we are going to ask God to create by his power the fruit of the Spirit within us through the Holy Spirit. So we are going to begin 2021 studying through these nine elements of the fruit of the Spirit. And we're going to provide a daily devotion that you'll be able to read that will guide you through what Scripture says about the fruit of the Spirit and what it looks like to live that out in, in your life. So I want you to know, first week of January 2021, we're going to go through the fruit of the Spirit because I just feel that God's Spirit is leading us in that direction. And it'll be really good for, for our church and what God wants to do in our life. So that's, that's one part of it. What about in the short term? Well, <laughs> how do we walk by the Spirit? We crucify anything that hinders what God wants to do in and through me. When you look at the works of the flesh, those dreaded verses from 19 to 21, when you look at those and you say, what hinders, what stands in the way of all that God wants to do in my life? What is God calling me to kill, to get rid of now because of what he wants to do eternally, what he wants to do in and through my life? I don't want anything, anything to get in the way of what God wants to do in and through my life. How do I walk by the Spirit? Well, we look at the Bible and say, where do we see the power of the Holy Spirit on display? The power of the Holy Spirit is on display through prayer and praise. When we are praying to God in the power of the Spirit, and we are praising him both individually and as a church, we are walking by the Spirit. We are going to produce the fruit of the Spirit. When we are getting the Bible into our lives, and we are connected to the Spirit-empowered church, and we are connected to other believers, we begin to walk by the Spirit. We'll be driven away from practicing the works of the flesh, and we'll be driven to produce, by God's power, the fruit of the Spirit. Mission, going out, sharing God's love and hope. As we live the life that God has called us to live, we will walk by the Spirit, and we will not want anything to get in the way of that. We don't want any of the works of the flesh to get in the way of it. The question is, do we understand what's at stake here? <laughs> do we understand that the decision between flesh and spirit, this is not chocolate and vanilla, is it? This is eternity with God and eternity separated from God. This is the life that God has created us to live and a life that leads to ultimate destruction. That there's a weight to this contrast between spirit and flesh. And this morning, as you leave, I pray that your commitment would be, God, I want to see your spirit do a work in me that only you can do. God, which parts of the fruit of the spirit are not in my life right now? What is not showing up in my life right now from love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control? What is not there? What are you doing that, to bring those things? And, and where do I see the works of the flesh trying to break in? Where do I see these things trying to break in? And God, I need to, by your power, crucify those things, kill those things. That's what's in front of us. And I want to pray for you right now 
that you would trust in the Lord and that he would lead you in that way. And then after we're dismissed, if you want to speak individually or pray individually about that, I'll stay up here at the front and I would love to do that for you. Let's pray together right now. Father, these are such famous and and powerful verses that I pray that I would not miss the simplicity of what you've given us here. God, we, uh, we don't need a lot of help usually, realizing the destruction that comes from works of the flesh, but we still face those temptations, we still face those desires. God, when we think about works of the flesh, it's easy to point our fingers at the TV or point our fingers to people around us, but God, help us to take a really hard look at our own life. God, to think about What direction is my life going? What does my life produce? And God, we so badly, as a church, as individuals, God, we so badly want the fruit of the Spirit to characterize our lives. And so God, teach us to kill and to crucify anything, any desires or passions of the flesh that get in the way of that. And God, help us to participate in those things where we see your Spirit at work in powerful ways. God, use prayer, use praise, use your word, use the church, use being on mission. Use all of those things, God, to produce the fruit of the Spirit in our church family. And God, I pray that you would lead us in that way in the days to come. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.